All right, welcome everybody to the Bridging the Gap podcast, episode one. Uh, my name is Henry, and I've got Gordy with me. How's it going? Good, good. Um, I think this episode we're gonna dive into a 2024 preview. I think we uh, we know we're a bit late on it. Uh, the season's already started with Down Under and Volta Valencia and the Tual de Visage already finishing up, as well as the Challenge Mallorca races. But we're going to try and talk about more of the uh, the monuments of the year and then also the uh, the Grand Tours and just kind of what we hope to expect, the big players, what we, uh, what we want to see in these big races this year. And um, just kind of, yeah, just getting excited for the, for the Spring Classics, which at this point are less than a month away. End of February, we start up. Yeah. Yeah, super, super excited for uh, first first good race of the year. I know there's some there's some people out there who claim it's the first real race of the year, but I think there's I think there's more to it than that. But Omloop uh, Hep Newsblad, always a always a fun one to watch. Not a monument, but people like to uh, people like to compare it to especially Flanders because it's got that old Flanders finish up the mirror. So. Yeah. Uh, that's and that's yeah, just a few weeks away now. Yeah, it gets uh, gets the people going. That's for sure. Uh, yeah, it's the classic, you know, the the the, the Flander and cla- the Flander and run into the uh, first classic of the year and tour of Flanders. Although, you know, there is still an argument to be made. I think that Strada Bianca deserves that 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 monument classification. But you know, at this time, I guess the they're still on the outside looking in. Yeah, I think I think there's an interesting argument to be made there with with Strada. To me, it seems like it as as far as monument status goes, it should mm-hmm. it should be longer than it is. I think the current race is right around that 200k mark, and as much as like I'm not going to watch because they don't. They, first of all, they don't let us. The the recording always seems to start with like 50k to go, which is right. They too don't bad. broadcast from K zero, except they do that for Milano San Remo. <laughs> yeah, but right? it, but it, like if if Strada had an additional 50k to it, yeah. it would I think be a different race than it is oh, right yeah. now. Um, I think also if you started if you started the gravel a bit earlier too. Yeah, I think there's a reason. I mean, it's not streamed all the way through one because it's not a monument, and you know, it doesn't have that like title to get, you know, a six-hour or five-hour block in in the U.S. streaming. But that also the gravel starts so late, typically. I mean, compared to like a Roubaix or a Flanders, where they're hitting the first cobbled sectors with 150, 160k to go. In Strata, it always seems like I could be wrong here, but it seems to me at least that they don't hit the gravel until at like 100k to go, 120k to go, and it's usually only about what nine or ten sectors. And yeah, they all seem it, to come in pretty short succession just to the line, you know. At least that's that's what the what it seemed like. There, honestly, I I don't know. There could be more gravel to it, but they don't. Uh, they never show it. I'm like, so wrong. <laughs> yeah. I'm so wrong. Yeah, no, the first gravel section is <laughs> 11 kilometers into the race. <laughs> but so here's the thing though, is they never like <clears throat> they never show any of the uh any of the gravel or any of the race right before like 50 60k to go to the line so so often like work uh working at a cafe that that has bike racing on there's people that say strada bianca is their favorite race of the year and Mm -hmm. i think it is an amazing race for the last 50k but there's like as a super passionate fan there's so much that i would want to watch before then Right, so like if they, if I could see them leave Siena, and watch everything, that would be that would be awesome. Like that would that would maybe be the thing that convinces me it should be 
given that monument status. But the fact that it's like when the race turns on, it's like, okay, there's already so much that's happened. And sometimes the, the established breakaways already gone. Like, okay, now right. it's just a race of like 15 guys as opposed to. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I feel like last two or three years, the stream usually started with about 80 ish K to go, which is right. Like yeah. two hours, two hours right. of racing pretty much. And like the live stream always kind of starts right before the action kicks off. So it, you don't really understand where everyone's at, you know, like you don't know if guys were attacking, like maybe any of the favorites were attacking much earlier. You don't know kind of the situation. So yeah, it is harder to just kind of like sit down and enjoy the whole race because you don't get to see it, you know? So we, with a race like Flanders or Roubaix, where we get to watch the entire race from kilometer zero, we get to see, you know, early break formation, who's chasing and all that. And it just adds a lot more anticipation and excitement for the finale. I think when Strada Bianca, he's just like flick it on. And then you see Pitcock flying down a gravel descent. You're like, Oh, well, it's still great racing, right? Like I'm not going right. to sit here and say that it's boring, but it would be nice to be able to see more. And I think you're right. I think that's where, at least for us, I don't know if it's different. I'm sure it's different in Europe. I bet they probably get a stream from K zero, but um, they might not, but at least for us, that would be a big help. And I think you're right to um, tack another 60 to 70 K on it. And maybe it gets closer to that monument status, but yeah, it's also, I mean, going forward, like, let's say we call that a monument for 2025 and onwards. Would we have like Tade and Wout and Matthew go again? Like they've already won it. I mean, it's the one race where the big three have already won. And right. even Pidcock has won now. So it's like for these guys now, especially as Wout and Matthew are getting older and have uh, less time, they're going to be 28, 29 this year. Um, this could be a race that I could see them easily skipping. So, yeah, it's one that has an interesting place on the calendar because it's a week generally after Omloop and it falls into that Italian calendar that you usually see where you've got Strada, Terreno, San Remo all at the same time. Mm -hmm. which I think is honestly an argument for it being a monument is that the riders are generally there because they're already there for San Remo mm -hmm. and it'll be similar riders who will go there. And yeah. I don't know how many teams genuinely care about this, but if you give it the monuments, then there's going to be more UCI points attached to it, which right. means a win is bigger than it would be otherwise. So maybe that means you, you do see, you do see writers like Wout and Matthew there. And I also think it's just a race that appeals to part of the reason it, it could be a monument is that it does appeal to the classics guys. And we also see climbers do well. Um, like right, like Tade is an obvious example, but even Roman Bardet came came second there in twenty. What was that? Twenty eighteen, twenty nineteen. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, that was um, twenty eighteen when Tige yeah. won. Right, he was second that year. Yeah, yeah. So I think you're right. It does probably bring out. I think Strade and Tour of Flanders are probably the two that bring out or can bring out an unexpected winner. Yeah. Um, but also, like, I think that Strata probably does it a, a good bit more than the Flanders, but I think that's because Flanders has typically a stronger start list and, and more pressure because it has that monument status, so the teams aren't going to, you know, mess around and let a, a Tige Benute win you know like a tige minute in 2018 kind of unknown i mean talent for sure but wasn't expected to win kind of got a leash nobody else was really able to chase 
and uh, was able to win that. And I think that's something about Strada is we never really see that kind of organization within the race as we do in like a Flanders or a Milano San Remo or a Perry Roubaix where you can tell the pressure is just much higher for internally and externally for the riders and the teams. And it's like, yeah, you're not just going to have some guy kind of wander off with 70, 60 K to go and find himself winning the race, you know? Right. At least not because the past two, the past, the past two Stratus have have been won by solo groups. And I think, it's the rare race where that is not like I want it to be a group because watching a group come into that final climb up Piazza del or what is it? Piazza uh, del Campo. Del Campo. Yeah. That one is, it's just such a iconic finish mm-hmm. that it's so cool to see. Like we saw Vanderpool in 21 or Alaphilippe in 2019, mm-hmm. like to see those riders, be able to separate themselves on the climb is super, super fun that watching a rider like Pogaccia or Pidcock come in solo. It's impressive, but it's also like, Oh, it's, it kind of puts a damper on the race a little bit, especially since you have so little to watch. Uh, it'd be like, it'd be like the equivalent of watching a, watching a rider be solo over the, uh, over the final climb in uh, Milano San Remo and mm. just like, Oh, he went like, which never, which never happens there, which is, which is what makes it so, so fun. But, uh, right. Like you mean solo from the base, the Poggio up and over. Yeah. Like yeah. if you were to see a rider, if you were to turn, cause it's never really worth turning on San Remo <laughs> much before the Poggio. No. So, but if you were to turn it on and you see Pogaccia's got a two minute gap going into the base of the Poggio, you're like, okay, that's the race over. But yeah, all um, yeah, right. I th- I think Strada is a little bit different in that those final gravel sectors and that Piazza del Campo make it make it a very good finale. That having the uh, having a group together makes it interesting. Whereas in Flanders watching somebody because it's it's always seems to be a race in the balance same thing with Roubaix mm-hmm. watching somebody go like Gilbert or Terpstra with like Gilbert went in Flanders with like 50k to go yeah like that's insane the to to do that in a race like that but to be able to hold it is equally as impressive I think and makes mm-hmm. you it puts you on the edge of your seat the entire time yeah for sure and I think, like especially with Strada Bianca, the most difficult gravel sections do come at about fifty to sixty k to go. Typically, the last two aren't as challenging as the typically it's the third and fourth to last. Um, Tortige attacked in one, I believe, or at least attacked into that breakaway, and then it's also where both Pogacar and Pidcock found their gap. Pidcock just found his on the descent rather than the climb, but. Um, yeah, I think it's always a fun race to just kind of get everybody excited for the actual monuments down the road, really. I mean, it would be great if it was a monument. Maybe we would like to see a few changes to it before it gets that uh, classification. But for now, I think it's just a great race to get people uh, keep it, get people excited for the, the Milano San Remo and Tour of Flanders, which are just the next following weeks. Exactly. Yeah. It is generally if if the RCS was to say we're going to get rid of, rid of one race, I love Milano San Remo, but I would I would more easily get rid of that than yeah you know, for sure. Okay. Like if they said we only want five monuments and we want to add Strada but take one away, yeah. I think you take away you take away San Remo. But maybe I mean yeah maybe. Lombardia there's, right there's, that's the other one that comes to mind. Lombardia I think is the yeah. one that. Lombardia gets a bad rap because of the time of year. But anyway, that's just, I think that's my opinion, but I think that's an opinion shared. I think the time of year that Lombardia happens really puts a damper on the race. But um, yeah, we'll get to that race much, much later in this episode. Yeah. I think maybe we could start then with um, Milan San Remo. So uh, yeah. again, probably the least uh, 
least entertaining over all of the monuments in terms of action throughout the entire race. But the last 20 minutes is probably the most electric of, of, of any bike race yeah. of the year, pretty much. Absolutely. You can, it's one race that is just so predictable as to when it's going to kick off. Yeah. At least as long as recent, recent memory, there's always the small possibility that whatever, somebody, somebody makes a move on the Chipressa or something like that, but it's so unlikely. Yeah. That it feels formulaic as far as when it's going to go. But it's still so fun, so fun to watch, especially that that move over the Poggio. There's yeah. times that the attack comes on the climb. There's time it comes on the descent. There's times it all regroups and it's a sprint into San Remo. So, yeah, what a I think this year I expect something something similar to similar to last year. To be honest, I think last year it was Matthew who was the the strongest and was able to drop a, a reduced grump a reduced group of uh Ghana Pogacha Van Art maybe maybe one other rider in there but uh I I I see something Ghana. similar happening happening this year yeah I I don't think we're going to see a group of more than 10 Yeah um, no I'm in there I don't think I think yeah if uh I'd be surprised. I think it's going to be the same thing. It, you kind of, you know, it's a thing now with how fast they go over the Chipressa and how fast the last 40K is to the bottom of the Poggio. It's just kind of like, okay, gets to the Poggio. Every team's going to fight really hard to pace for the first 2K. And then maybe we start to get some movement from some like, outside favorites but the last you know the big favorites will wait till the final k of of the poggio to really put it in and i think yeah it's gonna be the same guys i mean i think it's still just probably one of the most unpredictable races in terms of who's actually going to win because the list is a bit longer i think with like a flanders or a roubaix you know you have your top three to four favorites and typically one of those riders wins Milan St. Remo, you can have 10 guys that could easily win the race, you know? Yeah. I mean, even if all 10 of them went to the top of the Poggio together, I mean, we've seen in years past that really anybody can win. Yeah. I mean, let me look really quick at the last, I'm going to look at the last 10 winners of San Remo. Oh yeah. It's going to be, I mean, I know the, couple off the top of my head like the only there is no other race in the world that these riders could have all won except san remo so we've got right matthew vanderpool matty mahorich jasper stoyven wout van art julian alphilippe vincenzo nibali mikhail kwiatkowski arnold damar john degenkolb and alexander Kristoff. All except Nibali are still racing. Mm-hmm. And the only race that you would like see Nibali and Vanderpool in the same category of is a race like San Remo, which is why, right. which is why it's that last 15 minutes. Cause that's what it comes down to. They, they do. They're both riding in the Peloton for the first six and a half hours of the race. Right. There's no difference in that. It's just what happens in that last 15 K or so that that makes all the difference. Right. And I mean, I think it's like, uh, it's yeah, it's just such an interesting race and attacks can kind of go and stick anywhere from, you know, the halfway up the Poggio to halfway down to the last K, it can kind of go anywhere in that last bit, you know, which also keeps it quite interesting. But I think this year I am liking a rider like a Philipson. Um, like I don't see him getting distanced over the Poggio if he's the main rider. I like it's tough because if you're Alpeson, you could ride for Philipson or Vanderpool. 
but if it's a compact group over the top, you'd rather have Phillipson in there over Vanderpool. Um, Cause Vanderpool could easily get beaten by Wout or even like a Ghana. I mean, you never know. That's the thing. Like when Kwiatkowski, when he outsprinted Peter Sagan, who was current world champ by far and away, the favorite in that group of three with all of Philippe, but because it's a long race and you just don't know what what what's going to happen. But I think having both the option of a Philipson and a Vanderpool for Alpeson over the top would be good. And I think if Philipson's on some good form and can hang on, I think he's going to be really hard to beat. I also think a rider like maybe a Victor Lefay would be pretty fun too. That would uh, be that would be a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it would be super fun, but be really really hard for him to win that race. I think because he would probably wants some distance at some point, but he's again, like Victor LeFay, let's say he, you know, takes, takes a descent first and gets 15, 20 meter gap. And you know, you, you hit the, you hit the flat after the descent and you have Pogi Wout and Vanderpool and maybe a rider or two more in the group behind. It's going to be tough to get them to organize, you know? Especially a rider like Pogacar, he's going to be like, well, why would I chase? And they're going to do a bit of looking around. And yeah, that's the thing about Milano San Remo. It's, it's exactly how Nibali won. It's how Mahorich won. That descent, it's how uh, Stoyven won. That descent can kind of open the door for some of these guys who might not be the fastest or the number one, number two, number three favorite on paper, but they get this opportunity and they get this lack of cohesion behind and they win a monument. Yeah. If I'm looking at looking at who's going to win, I'm going to maybe go in the other direction that you did just to keep it interesting and s- look at maybe who is a, a somebody who could take it from a from a reduced bunch mm-hmm. and as well as the as well as the obvious favorites like you mentioned the I think the big 3 would be Pogacha, Matthew Vanderpool and Wolfenart but Christophe Laporte, who won the European Championships mm-hmm. on a on a similar climb, he's an incredible sprinter. Uh, as far as and and somebody who could be playing for WoW, be playing that card of a satellite a satellite rider, sort of like we saw Stoyven a little bit ago. I could see Laporte making the move on the descent or even on the climb, and WoW getting a free ride. And then mm. him staying away to the finish. Yeah. Even in that, even in that final final K or two that we see into the town of San Remo. And the other rider I think who I would love to see win in a reduced bunch would be Biniam Gourmet. This is a race that I think suits him more than any other monument. And to to win a monument, I think would be an incredible, an incredible feat for him, especially as a young, a young rider. Um, it's, he is, he is still 23 and it would be the first, the first monument I believe for a, for an African rider. So he is certainly, certainly capable of it. I think if the group is large enough going over the, the Poggio, mm-hmm then then he would be he would be one to look for in that in that group of 10 or so absolutely i think yeah it's always a a bit of a coin toss this race so it should be uh should be fun to watch absolutely at least the uh the last 20k yeah (laughs) no need to watch from the start but yeah it's always a fun way to start the year and um you know it's it's for a lot of riders especially the rider who ends up winning it's that nice to relieve that pressure of the monument, you know, especially for some of the bigger favorites who are expected to perform at, you know, Roubaix and Flanders, like, like your Wout and Matthew and, and so forth. I think the win there really, you know, helps them launch into their season with some good confidence and also, you know, a bit of relief, which is, which is nice. So yeah, should be, uh, should be fun. We're a little over a month out. So, Coming up yeah. quick, but then um, shortly, quite shortly after Juan San Remo's Tour of Flanders. 
Yeah, that's another, that's one of my, especially in recent years, one of my favorite races oh, yeah. to watch. And looking at Flanders, there's pretty much one rider, especially this year, who I think of when I think of Flanders, and that is Matthew Vanderpool. Mm-hmm. Because every year from 2020 to 2023, past four years, he's come first or second. He, yeah, he does incredibly well at that race. It's a race that is so well suited for him. Mm-hmm. And if he's not coming to the line in a group of two, like he had, like he did in, uh, 2021 and 22 Mm -hmm. then he's coming like just behind the sole leader like in 23 and pogaccio's not racing tour of flanders this year from what i from what i remember so no he's not it's not matthew planned to me seems like and again wow wow seems to have bad luck in flanders same thing with roubaix he's been sick he's been dropped on some early climbs but i think Vanderpool number one and Wout a mm-hmm. little bit behind number two are the yep. are the the riders to look out for. But there are some, I mean, we want to keep it interesting. There are some dark horses out there that that could do that could do well. Do what do what Betsy all did in twenty nineteen or uh, mm-hmm. or other riders who have who have won from from a, a reduced bunch, but. Yeah, who do you see? Who do you su- see succeeding at at Flanders this year? If I'm if I'm being honest, I think I think Yumbo's got a really good shot, and I don't know if they're gonna play it the way that I think that they could play it. But they're gonna come in with the strongest team by far, I think. Um, and we've seen this over the past. The whole team seems to have had some bad luck in tour of Flanders over the years past. I know Laporte can't remember the year on the top of my head, but he was dealing with some flat tires that took him out of the race and kind of took him away from, from helping wild. But Alpeson's always kind of seemed to be a little bit better. And I think going into 2024, 20, their team is going to be filthy. I mean, you have Laporte, Van Aert, Jorgensen, Tij Benut. I'm guessing Jan Trotnik, Maybe Julian Vermoot will race. I'm not exactly sure their whole squad for it. But that those four right there, I think the Tij Benut. Oh, I'm sorry. The I, I think it's five guys. I think it's right. It's Van Barl, Tij Benut, yeah. Matteo Jorgensen, Christophe Laporte, and Wout Van Aert. That is five guys that can win this bike race. Absolutely. So it's like, oh, I mean, if all if you have all of those five riders in the race over the last three climbs. I don't see Alpeson being able to be there with five guys. And I think theoretically Yumbo could be there. And I think that's where they make the difference this year. And I think they will favor Wout. They will favor protecting Wout. He obviously he's earned it and deserves it, but uh, they will favor that, but they won't hesitate if Van Barl or Mateo Jorgensen is in a, an advantageous move at 45 K to go, they're going to tell them to go, you know, they're going to tell them to ride full. Um, because why not put the pressure on Matthew and put the pressure on his team. And I think they're in a really good, good opportunity this year to, to stick it to Matthew. Cause that's what they're going to need, right? Matthew versus Wout. Wout's lost four times, right? Like Matthew's beat Wout every single time at tour of Flanders. So, the two times Matthew lost, it was to other riders. It's he's been able to drop out pretty much every single time they've raced Tour of Flanders together. So I don't think that Yumbo's strategy can just be like, okay, let's keep Wout safe and sound and have him go head to head because no, that, that that doesn't work. That that is a strategy that if you if you're Yumbo, you don't want to go head to head with Matthew because you've got you've got so many options behind like i just i just pulled up 
Yumbo's Classics campaign from last year. We've got a win at Omloop from Dylan Van Barl, a win at Kern Brussels Kern from Tish Benut, a win at E3 from Wout Van Aert, and then a win at Ghent and Dwarves from Laporte. So that's four riders right there. They they won they won five of the biggest one day classics with four different riders, but they were they were not in contention really at all in in Flanders. And I think they are going to, and that's been the case for the past couple of years. Mm-hmm. I know I think, had COVID at one point, and that was that was bad. And and Laporte was was out of contention with with flats. But I think they are going to look as they've done with Grand Tours. They're going to say, "Listen, E three, we don't care if we win E three again. We want to win Flanders, mm-hmm. or we want to win Roubaix." we're the best team in the world, which they are. Yeah. I mean, I think that's what you expect from, from a team like Visma. Right. I mean, last year, I think they were hurting from, uh, absence of Van Barl. Uh, he was picked up an injury and took him out of both Flanders and Roubaix. So they were just really kind of using Tige and, and Laporte. And I think Laporte last year was dealing with some flats, which kind of just kept him, on the back foot a little bit. Um, I could be totally wrong. That could have been 2022. Uh, but regardless, I think, you know, Visma this year, those five guys are just lethal. Like all five of them could win this race. Yeah. All five of them are could be favorites in their own right on their own teams. So if they play it right, I mean – they could make it a really hard and long day for Alpecin. And I yeah. think they're going to have to start lighting the race up with 80, 90, 100K to go. Yeah. I would say even putting one of those riders, maybe I would probably put Jorgensen in the breakaway and, and just say, like, listen – we know you, especially him, because he's, you know, he's good in breakaways. Like your, mm-hmm. your job is to make it to be the last one that we catch in the breakaway. And then they could still have, when, when that breakaway is caught, it could be 50K to go. It could be, it could be 70 or it could be 30. Who knows? But it could be cu- when they're caught, they could still have three or four guys in the group. And, and that's just another rider that they have another rider up the road so that they're, they're they don't have to work in the in the group and then they have they have that that card to play i think that's what they're going to have to do and they're also just going to have to which is something that they should already be doing is not worry so much about the early races you have to you have to be there in end of March, April, an mm-hmm. omloop win is cool at the time, but it's not a Flanders or a Roubaix win, which is what is what they want and what their their sponsors and their fans expect, I think. Yeah. I think right, you send maybe like a Mateo Tige duo to some of those and you kind of rotate as well. Um I think in that whole group of five you kind of rotate just to be safe, you know. So no one crashes at E3 and then they're out, you know, because that's right. a huge loss for that team. If any of those guys are missing from Flanders, it makes it a good bit harder to beat Matthew. And I think also, you know, <laughs> Matthew's in rainbow, in the rainbow bands this year, and he's t- going to tie or can tie Tom Bonin's record of three uh, Flanders wins his most victories. So he's going to be so motivated. And you know how deep he can ride. He can put himself so far into the box. So they're going to need him to be on the back foot really early on. And I think that they know that. And I think that they're going to they're, they're gonna pull some uh, some fun tactics out. Because I know that they're not, you know, like what's impressed us with now Visma Lisa Bike over the past few years is they've come to fruition as the best team really in the world tour is their um, willingness to take on aggressive tactics. 
Uh, I mean, we saw it in the 2022 tour. They just were like, okay, how do we beat Pogachar? And they said, okay, 1v1, fresh, probably not going to be able to do it. So why wait and sit back and just hope that Finger Go can do something on the final climb of whatever, Grenon or uh, Alp Duez or, or whatnot. And um, they took the race in their own hands and said, they said, no, we got to make it as hard as we possibly can on not only Pogachar but his whole team from as far out as we possibly can. And they were able to put him on the back foot from 80K to go in a stage. And next thing you know, Vigago has two minutes and he's in yellow. So I think they, if they take a similar approach to how they did that in the 2022 tour with uh, Tour Flanders, they could, they could, they could wipe the floor with Vanderpool. I think. I, I think that's how they need to do it because they can't risk going to the line with with a rider like that. No, uh, they can't because. Yes, Wout's, Wout's an incredibly strong sprinter, but if you have five riders who could win, mm-hmm. making it a one-on-one against two riders, one of which who's not on your team, is is a uh, it it should be if Yumbo wins, it should be a solo a solo win from them. I think, I I think that's how they that's how they win. That should be what their what their goal is, and let Matthew or whoever's there, but it's probably going to be Matthew. Let him do all the work Mm -hmm. and, and just give him that, give him that one, two punch of whoever's, whoever's there at the end. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I think that's probably the monument I've definitely most excited for this year. And I think it's been probably one of the favorites for all cycling fans over the past handful of years i think it's just been such an electric race and i think it always has such an interesting dynamic and it can produce an interesting winner and i think uh, this year it should be pretty fun i'm just uh i'm hopeful that yumbo i'm sorry visma lisa bike really try and really go for it because i think them opening up the race early with the riders they have will provide such a such a fun race and uh It'll be a memorable tour of Flanders, that's for sure. Yeah, it'll be a it'll be a fun one, a fun one to watch. It's always one of the best one of the best races of the year. Consistently a fun one fun one to watch. So yeah, that and uh, that and, and Roubaix, which is the next the next weekend. And I think a little bit a little bit more of a an I don't know, we see we tend to see at least in in recent memory, a group of riders come to the come to the finish in Roubaix more than we see a group of riders come to the finish in Flanders. Yeah, I think. I mean, the last two Roubaix's have been one solo. That's that. Uh, that's true. And I <laughs> guess there's the there's the the. It's different in Roubaix because you can you can see a group of five or six, which you don't seem to see like. In, at least in recent times in Flanders, it's either Matthew and somebody or mm-hmm. a solo rider. Like 18, it was Terpstra. No, that was, yeah, 18 it was, no, 18 was Gilbert, I think. Correct. Terpstra Gilbert, won, uh, yeah. Gilbert and Flanders Terpstra won, won solo. Betsy all won solo. 19. Betsy all won Flanders Betsy solo. One Flanders solo, yeah, yeah, um, and then, and then twenty twenty through twenty twenty two, it was Matthew and another competitor, Matthew and Wout, Matthew and Pogaccio, Matthew and Casper mm-hmm. uh, Asgren, and so you see those smaller groups. You don't see like when, uh, like thinking of twenty twenty when when Sonny Cabrelli won. That was a group of three or four that came to the line. Yep. That's that's, that's something group. that you don't see as much in in the finish in Flanders, and I think that's that's sort of what you look for. Like as much as the cobbles are fun to watch, mm-hmm. God, it's so much fun to see uh, a sprint on the on the Roubaix Velodrome. Yeah, and I think I do think right, like 
last year, we would have had a sprint if it weren't for a flat from Wout, you know, yeah. like 13K to go. He was not getting dropped. And I think at that time, I think all of us watching, it was pretty, pretty easy to admit that, that Vanderpool was the stronger of the two, it seemed, and probably had a slight edge at that point already. But it would have been super fun to see them sprint each other on the velodrome, you know? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's definitely harder to get that separation because uh, you don't have the climbs. So um, that's really the, you know, the, that's the separation in Flanders, and that's how it whittles down to one, two riders over the past few years. And I think Roubaix is just like, a little easier for guys to just hold on for dear life when, you know, I mean, it's so hard to say too, because 2022 was solo with Van Barl, 2023 was going to just be the two, but yeah, the sprint on the, the sprint on the velodrome seems much more common than the sprint at the end of Flanders. Yeah. Which, which I think is, I think is better because it's a much better, place to to have the sprint than uh than that that final 13k or 10k into Mm -hmm. into odinard Um, yeah i would i would much rather see a sprint on the velodrome there's there's more tactics at play than than just watching a a group crawl to crawl to odinard but yeah for sure yeah and uh yeah man roubaix is also just one of those races that there's it's just so romanticized like the tour and you just see a lot of a lot of guys care so much about a result there and will go so deep and try everything to to not only go for the win but hang on for like a top, top five 10 or top 10 yeah. yeah it's huge for even it's to, huge even, for riders. even a finish right like yeah. there's so many people you see that finish just over the time limit that finishing roubaix even if it's not within mm-hmm. the time limit can mean something for sure. Yeah. 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 And I think again, Roubaix will be a similar story um, with kind of that Yumbo, Levy Matthew Vanderpool uh, strategy. I think it'll be this, it'll have to be the same, at least on Yumbo's end, right? They can't just, they can't just send Wout up the road with Vanderpool and say, good luck because. It's way too risky. I mean, we've seen it time and time again that Vanderpool just kind of knows how to beat Wout Van Aert more than Wout Van Aert knows how to beat Vanderpool. So um, Jumbo will have to do the same thing. I think they're going to want to crack the race open from, I mean, for Roubaix too, I think it's easier. It's an easier race to open up earlier. Um, because what, the, the Arnberg comes at like, 100k to go. 100k to go, yeah. Yeah, so like, oh, that's a nasty section. So it's just such an easier race to open. And I think Yumbo, if they send that that same core group of five guys that we discussed earlier, they can can make, I mean, they can make Vanderpool obsolete way, uh, he can make, they can make Vanderpool out of the race by like 50 or 60k to go. They could open the race up so far and put Alpeson on the back foot. I think Alpeson will have a bit of a better chance at competing in Roubaix just because they'll have Philipson who proved himself last year as a shocking cobblestone rider. I mean, that was an insane ride from him last year. So we'll see if he can do that again. And that'll be another card that Alpeson will hope to play. But I think, if you're if you're Visma Lisa bike, you're you're hitting that race really hard, really early with big names. Like you're not just sending Julian Vermoot in a break at 130k to go. You're sending Matteo Jorgensen. You're sending Benut. You're sending Laporte because that is how this they're going to be successful. Yeah, making it's... teams like Alpecin and Track Chase really early will break the race open for them. You've got to you've got to use all of the riders you have, and maybe even more so in Roubaix than Flanders, just because it is a race that opens up early. 
um, that, yeah, having, they, they've got some, they've got some good engines as well, Visma, um, but using up those riders, it, it's, it's, you've got to be able to be comfortable with saying, okay, maybe the Arenberg is the finish or, or Cafodalabra is the finish for, for a certain rider. If that means that Matthew is two minutes down the road from, from Wout and Laporte or something right. like that. Right. Yeah. I Which mean, even would be, that, like, like that would be, that would be an incredible place for Visma to be in at 50 K to go. Cause Matthew, mm-hmm. Matthew rides so incredibly strong. I mean, he won, he's won this race. He's won all three of the races we've talked about so far. Uh, mm-hmm. and he's, he's done that without having anywhere near the strongest team. So yeah, it's not like, it's not like Yumbo has come into these races or Visma has come into these races with weak teams before it's all, it's all well and good to say what they should do. It's just a matter of like, how do they actually Mm-hmm. get rid of a rider like like Matthew and I think I think it has to be going early yeah and I think you just you you kind of hope and you also somewhat bait Vanderpool to try and just have him be looking at Wout right yeah like they just have if you can get Vanderpool to focus on Wout and only Wout I mean that'll be hard but I think that's where you have to bring out Wout early like you Alpacin will have enough guys at a hundred plus K to go to chase down moves or make sure they're represented in moves with a Laporte or a Jorgensen or a Banu. I mean, cause here's the thing. If you're, if you're Alpacin, you see Laporte goes up the road, you send Phillips in with him, right? Yeah. If you see Banu go up the road, you send Johnny Vermeersh because those I, they're comparable, right? Like the only super dangerous guy that's like that Alpacin doesn't want to see up the road with two plus minutes in the last 50k is Laporte or obviously wow but you know they'll they'll be fine having like a Mateo up the road as long as they're represented with somebody else because that's a little bit more head on head to head you know or yeah Van Van Barrow is the other one I'd uh like oh god yeah they're not gonna uh, let Van Barrow those like that, but here's the thing is that they've, they've had those, they've had the Van Barl they didn't have last year, but right. it's not like Wout's been the only option they've had in years past. Like it's just, it just hasn't worked for them for some reason. I mean, they've and, just, they're too hyper-focused on Wout. I think that's the thing they've yeah. just been. And to be fair, it's, I think the conversations opened up more this year in general because of Wout's inability to to beat Vanderpool, right? Like Yumbo has had Wout be their protected rider at these races for the past four seasons and he hasn't won Flanders or Roubaix. Yeah. So at this point it's like, okay, you haven't won Flanders or Roubaix. Vanderpool's won those two races three times now. Like they they have to open it up to other riders. And I know selfishly, wow, is going to want to win himself. He's going to want that protection and he's going to want, you know, even if it is uh, Dylan Van Barrel up the road, he's going to, he's going to want that to come back, you know, but I think Yumbo has to sit down. I'm sorry. Visma has to sit down with the whole team and say, look, this is how we have to race it to win. And this is what we're going to do. And Wout has to play a little bit of more of a team role. I think you say all five of those guys are practically equal. You favor, I think you favor obviously Wout and you favor Laporte because of their faster finishes. And, you know, th- those guys in a small group at the end of those races have a much higher chance of winning than a Van Barl or a Benut or a Jorgensen. But I think you have to sit all five of them down and say, look, each one of you is can win this bike race, so we have to 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 race like that, right? And as we know, Wout, one thing that separates him from Matthew is that he is an incredibly strong team player. He 
has been one of the best domestiques in recent years as far as just looking at the Tour de France. He's the reason Jonas has won, or a reason, a strong reason, Jonas has won. I don't want to say the only reason, but but he's, yeah. he is a reason why Jonas has won two tours, and that is because he has been able to be so strong in support of other people. And it, that's something that like we have, we've seen Matthew a little bit, like he's been a good lead out man for Philipson or Merlier at times, but he's not, he's not there on Col de Grenon, like, or there on, on Montfontu. And I think Wout is able to dig so deep in support of others, which is something that, something that kind of like, it's a good skill to have as far as pay goes, but winning races, that's the reason why as far as well as bad luck, that's the reason why he has won San Remo and Matthews won two Flanders, a Roubaix and a San Remo. Yeah. I think I disagree a bit in terms of well being more selfless and more of a team player because I think Wout is a more talented rider than Vanderpool as a whole. I think that's pretty clear. Um, I don't think many people would argue that. I think in a one-day situation, it's Vanderpool, but I think in a you know yeah. in a Tour de France support role, like Wout's going to be there every time. And then I think the reason he can go so deep for Jonas and put it all out there is because he can't win on Colder Grenon. Yeah, that's not his goal. Isn't to win there. He, right. he he knows he can't win. Roman Bardet would beat him up that like head to head. This is at least in that situation in 2022. But like he's able to empty it and go and go so deep there in those situations because he knows that that race isn't for him anyway. Like he, winning's not on the not on the table for him, and I, I don't even think he really would want to win. But you have a race like. Flanders or Roubaix where he's been so vocal about how important it is for him to win one of these races. And I think he's quite frustrated that he hasn't done it yet. I don't think that he'll relinquish leadership as well as he does in the tour like that. I think he'll, I mean, we even saw in the tour that he was kind of pushing he, he's, for, he's reluctant. He's reluctant there at yeah, times as well. Yeah. But. So he's like, he's looking out he's like, Oh, maybe I can win this stage if I get to go in the break and you have while well, you have Jonas and yellow needing support and you're one of the best yeah domestiques i i don't i don't see well enjoying sharing leadership especially if they really want to open it up and say look the, that core group of five you guys are all equal players i don't think well will be super stoked on that i think he'll still play a bit selfishly and i think Visma are going to expect that, so they're not going to do that because I think that if they open it up and they say, "Okay, all of you, t- all of you are equal for these two races," they know while it's not going to play his fair share, he's going to stay back. He's going to expect others to chase earlier on, and then yeah. they're going to get—they're not going to have that cohesion with all the guys, and that's where mistakes can be made. You know, if he's always right. looking at Laporte or Van Barl or Mateo to pull things back at 80, 70, 60 K to go, or he wants them jumping instead of him. If it's not Vanderpool going, then they're going to, they're going to be upset. Cause they're like, look, I had to burn all my matches. And then they were in the same situation as before where all we have left is wow. And now it's wow versus Matthew again. So I think if you, if you bring wow out early in these races and you make Matthew move, and go with those moves early. And then you just start unleashing with like Tiege, Mateo, Christoph Laporte and Ben Barrow. It's like you could overwhelm these guys so fast because it could be so easily. It's like Tiege goes up the road, Alpecin and Trek follow. And the next guy on the wheel is like Van Barrow. Like they just have so many cards to play over every other team that I honestly think that if they don't walk away with at least one of those races is winning any of those guys, but really realistically, they should probably be winning both of those with that roster. But if they don't walk away with one of those wins, it's an absolute failure of a 
classic season. They could win every KBK, E3. They could win but Bronze Appeal, Amstel, Lee, every other race in the spring, every other one day. If they don't walk away with a Flanders or a Roubaix, it's a kind of a shame. I would completely, completely agree with that. I think just like you can win every single one-day race if you don't want a Grand Tour, or you can win every single one-week stage race if you don't want a Grand Tour. Right. That's not going to count. You, you, yeah, E3, Omloop, those are big races that they won last year and mm-hmm. that they're going to be looking to win again this year. But you need especially for a Dutch team, a team that, that knows the, the importance of races like Flanders and Roubaix, you need mm-hmm. to win a monument. Yeah. Because those are the, those are the races that are going to be remembered in in the future, 50 years yeah. down the line, nobody's, nobody's going to be like, Oh yeah. Do you remember that? Remember that amazing E3 that Wout won? It's like, no, yeah, he, won, right. he won Flanders. So, right. I yeah. mean, I think the pressure's building for sure on the team. I think the conversation really over the past few years has been more WAP focused, but I think now with the squad they have, it's got to be more on the team here because they have so many cards to play. And yeah, if they can't walk away with a win at either of the races, it's, I think it's a failure of a, a classics campaign. And, it's so tough to say that because like what happened to Wout in Roubaix last year could easily happen again to any of those guys. But I think but if that's, they're that's all there, what, that's what racing is. Yeah. Right. Like that's, that is that's part of, part of, uh, and that's why Ineos didn't win Flanders or Roubaix. They were, they were dominant for so long mm-hmm. in the tour among other grand tours, mm-hmm. but they didn't win they won Milano San Remo with Kwiatkowski and they won, mm-hmm. they didn't win Roubaix until what was that? 2021 with Van Barl. Like 2022. That is, yeah. 2022. Yeah. They yeah. didn't, that was such a long period of time. And it's not like they didn't try, like they had incredible teams going in there. Like, mm-hmm. like, Classics: Garrett Thomas, Ian Stannard, Luke Rowe, mm-hmm. riders who could who could win those races, and it and it never panned out until Van Barl. True, and uh, that was just pure Van Barl, like <laughs> wanting that win for himself. I mean, you just he wanted to win that. He wanted a a big win so bad. I think. I mean, he's so talented, and um, he lacks that finishing ability that his competitors had at that time, right? Like he didn't want to go to the line with anyone like Ben Barl's not the quickest lad I've seen. So um, he just took that race by, by the horns and said, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna go with like 50 K to go. And if you yeah. can hang on, you can hang on. And luckily for uh, him, he got away. But now again, it's like, that's a card to play for Yumbo. And again, they didn't have him last year. You throw Van Barl into Roubaix, and it's a different race for sure. Um, so it'll be really exciting to see. And of course, there's other riders. I know we've really focused on Yumbo, Yumbo v uh, Matthew Vanderpool, Wout v Matthew Vanderpool, but like your Stefan Kuhn, Filippo Ghana, the Ghana Tarling, uh, Ghana Tarling duo could be fun. Those boys can throw down some watts, and that should be interesting. We'll have. Yeah, I would say Stefan Kuhn as well. Matt Patterson, another another Matt's rider Patterson. who could who could win it in the velodrome, and pair it with Jonathan Milan. It's a good one. Yeah, yeah. Even even somebody on the lighter end like Mahoric or uh, or Tish Benut. I mean, he's on he's on Yimbo as well. But those are riders mm-hmm. who could who could do do well. Yeah, and I mean, I think all. All five of those guys on Yumbo could win. They're all favorites in my book. Yeah, absolutely. And there's not, there isn't, there isn't as many, there isn't that depth in other teams, but Mm -hmm. maybe that's a strong point in that like Trek is going to put everything, I would guess, behind Pedersen. Mm -hmm. Alpeson is maybe going to play the Phillips card, but 
with Vanderpool and the World Championship bands, they're gonna say, "Yeah, we want we want a victory on the Velodrome with with Vanderpool." I would I would guess. I think so. Yeah. Well, these races are right around the corner, and excitement's building. I think this is a good time to uh, cut it. We'll finish this preview in a um, in a part two later on, but next episode you can expect will be a recap and um just a discussion about the tour of columbia that's back for the first time since pre-pandemic so expect that out uh shortly after this one and then a part two to the 2024 season preview to follow perfect thanks henry yeah thanks we'll see you